Good morning, Missy O'Day. Good morning. I want to say what an honor it is to, to be back with my Missy O'Day family. Thank you, Pastor Paul, for the opportunity. Um, thank you, Caleb, for leading us in worship. My family is here. I love you all. Um, uh, mentioned to me that you all are in a series on the book of 2 Corinthians, so I'd just like to keep that ball rolling. So if you've got a copy of God's Word, meet me in the second chapter, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I'll give you a moment to turn there and get right to it. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. To set the scene for us, Paul, uh, an apostle, a preacher, evangelist, church planter, he's planted a church, a community in an area called Corinth, um, and he gives his life, he, he gives his whole heart, his soul to build the community, to disciple uh, these people as his own. But as he's away to go plant other churches, he hears that there are problems going on in the local church. So what does a, a good pastor do? He writes to the church to address the problems. Unfortunately, people in the church reject Paul's teaching. And that's where we get 1 Corinthians. So this second letter, Paul is writing to try to reconcile back with this community that's rejected him. So we pick it up in chapter 2. Can we all stand for the reading of God's word? I'm going to start in verse 12 and read through chapter 3, verse 6. This is God's word. It reads, this is Paul speaking. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God. In the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts, to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. 
for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Church, I'm convinced one of the greatest inventions of all time is, in fact, the treadmill. Oh, yes, it has to be the treadmill. I'm absolutely fascinated by the treadmill. I'm talking about the exercise machine that allows one to, to walk or run in place. This is one special device. Think about it. I can walk or run without leaving my home. I can get in a full workout without going outside. You can have one in your basement. You can head over to LA Fitness on the treadmill. I don't have to worry about speeding cars or ferocious dogs scaring me on my afternoon run. On the treadmill, the impact on my knees, ankles, and back is reduced as opposed to if I were running on the sidewalk. On the treadmill, I gain improved joint flexibility as well as bone density, and most importantly, on the treadmill, I'm in control of how fast or how slow I want to go. Amen. All that to say, whether you are someone who runs for fun, you run or walk to stay healthy, or running for you is downright punishment, the treadmill is one of the most helpful exercise tools today. I remember uh, running track in college each week. I was a sprinter. So my, my race was 20 to 23 seconds. And my coach would say, all right, guys, we, we're going on a three-mile long run weekly. And of course, as a sprinter, I'm thinking, my race is 20 seconds. What does this have to do? Why am I doing this long run? And my dad's a track coach. He's, like, he's all over the training. He's like, Chris, that's not good. Um, but I knew it would help my endurance. Nevertheless, on the long run, I would always choose to go on the treadmill. So what I'd do is I'd hop on, I'd set it to a solid pace, a 9.6, and I'd get it rolling. And I noticed that on the treadmill, something really cool is on it. It keeps track of your mileage. It shows how far you've gone. It displays your results, your outcome, and your accomplishments. But then it dawned on me, it would be a sad day if the treadmill could not show my results because I would feel as if I'm giving all my effort, yet I'm still getting nowhere. I would be giving my maximum effort, though I'm still running in the same place, making no headway, no progress, nothing accomplished, running with all my heart, exerting all my energy, but still ending up in the same place. And I bring it up, church. Because while it's disappointing to see no results on your treadmill run, it's even more discouraging to give your all but to see no results in your life as a Christian. What happens when you've been giving all your heart, energy, time, and effort to serving the Lord but see no outcome? What is your response when your ministry looks absolutely fruitless, pointless, and dead? When you've been giving your maximum effort to minister to those around you, but it's as if you're getting nowhere. When you've been encouraging your spouse, pleading with them to come to church, read their Bible, disciple the children, but they remain unresponsive to the things of God. 
when you've been trying to show love, patience, and kindness to your unbelieving coworkers, but they continue to resist your efforts, when the people you've been ministering to seem to have no heart change, there appears to be no fruit in the ministry. Students, when you've been trying to live for Jesus in a time in society that is unpopular, you've been inviting your non-Christian friends to youth group, but they continue to reject your invitation. When you've been praying for change but see no change, what do we do, church, when serving God is just hard, when we see no progress in the ministry? Do we give up? Do we, get, do we go to something else? Surely the Apostle Paul has experienced this tension. Paul knows what it's like to labor, to struggle, to wrestle in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Think about it like this. Paul started the church at Corinth. He built the community, loved them, supported them, preached the gospel to them, took them in as his own. And the same church that Paul started has now falsely accused and criticized his ability, courage, motives, and authority as a leader. The Corinthian community that Paul gave his life to has turned on him and has now accused Paul of being unreliable and fickle. After beginning the church, the members turn on him and reject him. They, they're saying he's, he's too poor. He's constantly under persecution and suffering. He's always homeless and isn't a, an impressive public speaker. And since the Corinthian church had been exposed to more wealthy, charismatic, impressive preachers, now they're starting to think less of the Apostle Paul. Now they're ashamed of him. And Paul faced many trials in his life, but being turned on by his own church is certainly one of his worst. What do you do when the ministry you started, the team you built, the group you began, the children you raised, the people you've given your life to have now turned on you. If anyone knows what it's like to, to serve God when it's hard, it's the Apostle Paul. Nevertheless, Paul writes this letter of encouragement and hope to us as Christian leaders when we see no progress in our ministry. This is the theme. This text tells us that when serving God is hard, when everything we're doing for God seems dead, we must rehearse who Christ is, what he's accomplished, and who we are in him. In our passage this morning, the Apostle Paul shows us four truths to hold on to in order to keep serving God when it's hard. The first, the first truth to, that we have to hold on to when serving God is hard is that God is always victorious. Watch verse 14. It reads, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. Christ is always triumphant. He is always on the winning side of a battle, be it in the spiritual realm, the physical, the mental, the emotional. Christ always has victory. Here, Paul paints a picture for us, and it's the image of a Roman triumphal procession. Back in the first century, a Roman triumphal was awarded to generals after their successful conquest, meaning after the general would return from a successful military battle, he would be granted the right to parade through the city so people could celebrate and admire his victory. And Paul is saying, 
Just as a Roman general parades through town after his victory, Christ is the conquering general who parades through the world after his victory over sin and death. Christ is triumphant. He has won. He has redeemed. He has bought us back from slavery to sin, death, and condemnation. Jesus lived a sinless life sinless life, sacrifice his body on the cross for us, raised in all power and glory on the third day, defeating death, hell, and the grave. And because of that victory, Jesus now has the right to parade and celebrate throughout the earth. This is a triumph that no human can stop, a celebration that no army, no human authority, no political party can ever shut down. Not only is Christ victorious, but through Christ, God is leading each of us to victory as well. Therefore, it's not in our own strength to minister, not in our own power to defeat spiritual forces and authorities, not in our own ability to save the loss, but in dependence on Christ, he gives us the victory. Effective in ministry is based on our connection to Jesus and Jesus alone. He has defeated, he has conquered, he has won. There is victory in Christ. And there's a word in verse 14 that I appreciate a whole lot. It says, always, in the Greek, means always. Thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph. I like always in every circumstance, every season, every place, every position. God has the final say. He is sovereign. He has ultimate authority and because God is sovereign and has the final say my confidence is not in my education my communication skills my ability to minister but my confidence is in the God who called me to be his minister my assurance is in the truth that God always leads us to victory in Christ you may not appear to have victory in this moment your situation may seem completely dead but God the creator of all things, the author of all life, who hung the stars in the sky, who tells the wind and the waves to pipe down, who put the taste buds on your tongue, who knows the amount of hairs on your head. That creator, God, has never lost a battle. He was victorious when he raised Israel from uh, the Egyptians at the Red Sea. He was victorious when he led David to defeat Goliath. He was victorious in Ezekiel when he spoke to dead bones and they became a living army. He was victorious when he saved Esther and the rest of the Jews from genocide planned by Haman. He was victorious when he raised Jesus from the grave. And that same God has never met a sickness he cannot heal, a problem he cannot fix, a soul he cannot save, a situation he is not sovereign over. That is the Jesus advancing his work through your ministry. That is the Jesus who is leading you to triumph. Church, when it seems like there's no fruit, no progress, no results in your ministry, remember who Christ is. When it seems dead, recall that our God is in the full-time business of resurrecting dead things. He can do all things but fail. He has the final say. And Paul says that we get to share in the triumph of Jesus. Though not only do we have victory in Christ, he is using us to make himself known throughout the earth. And this brings us to our second point. The second truth to hold on to when you're seeing no progress in ministry is that you are the aroma of Christ. You are the aroma of Christ. 
verses 14 through 16 read, Through us, God spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Fragrance was common at a triumphal parade. During the, fra during the parade, excuse me, incense would be scattered along the parade route of the victorious Roman general, and it could be smelled by everyone as it went by. Paul is explaining that in the same way, Christians are the pleasing smell, the fragrance, the perfume of Jesus Christ. That term fragrance refers to the knowledge of God. Paul says that as you walk by, because you are the aroma of Christ, God is using you to reveal himself to those around you. When you step into a space, whatever the space may be, God is making himself known through you. You carry the fragrance of Jesus Christ, the smell of Christ. When you walk by, others can sense, they can smell the presence of Christ on you, which means you're actually having more impact on those around you than you think. When you're at the job, in the schools, in the community, both Christians and non experience the person of Christ when you interact with them. Without even mentioning that you're a member of the local church, without even sharing your full testimony, without even communicating the good news of the gospel, others can pick up the hope, the encouragement, the joy, the peace that's inside of you. And this should cheer us up because in the moments and seasons where ministry seems fruitless, God is still using you to make himself known in the rest of the earth. You are the aroma of Christ. Though it's crucial to note that smells, fragrances, have one of two responses. You can either receive them or you can reject them. Each time I'm at the mall and I'll try to walk through finish line, I always have to walk through Macy's and there's always that small woman with the cologne, try this, smell this. And I only have one or two responses. It's either no, 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 or yes, I like that. And the truth is, as the aroma of Christ, as the fragrance of Christ, you too will receive one or two responses from those you minister to. During the triumphal parade, as the incense went by, for the captives on their way to the arena in death, it was the dreadful smell of death. But for the victors, it was life-giving perfume. In the same way, for us as ministers of the gospel, some will like your message. They'll be receptive to the presence of Christ in you, and others will reject it. Some are attracted to the Christ-like beauty seen in you and your message and want more, though others dislike it. Therefore, it may not always be you that others are rejecting. It may not be you that others are unresponsive to. It may not be you that others judge, mistreat, and belittle, but it just may be the presence of Christ inside of you. To those who refuse to hear their, your message, those who dislike the aroma of Christ, it will lead to their condemnation. It will lead to their eternal separation from God because they're ultimately rejecting the Lord. But to those who are receptive to Christ and his message, those who are open to the gospel, this will be a fragrance of life. To the ones who are being saved, it is good news. It is hope. It is an answer to prayer. 
Jesus said it himself in John 3. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. The outcome of your ministry, church, is God's business, not yours. But your job is to be who Christ has called you to be and to share the message of the gospel with those you encounter. It may not be pleasing to everyone, but it's pleasing to the Lord. As Christians, you are the aroma of Jesus Christ. And Paul moves on. He says, when ministry is tough, when you're not seeing the, the numbers, the fruit, the results you'd like, there is always a temptation to want to drift from the true gospel of Jesus Christ in order to try to produce better ministry results. Nevertheless, you must remember the next truth, and it is this. The Bible, the word of God, is always sufficient for ministry. Verse 17, Paul claims, For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God we speak in Christ. In Paul's day, that word peddlers, circle that, would have painted a strong picture for those who read this letter. Peddling is the act of adulterating or watering down for more money. It was typical for a wine seller to water down or dilute the wine in order to gain greater profits. Paul says, I may not be the most eloquent, wealthy, or impressive preacher in the land, but I can say with sincerity that I don't peddle the word of God. I don't corrupt the Bible. I don't water down the gospel in order to gain more profits like many others. I'm not motivated by promoting myself, motivated, motivated by money or human approval, but I'm motivated by the Lord Jesus Christ. I preach the Bible. I communicate the truth of God's word. And Missy O'Day, though Paul wrote this in 55 AD, I'm afraid there's still some peddling of God's word in the church today. There's still some who preach name it and claim it. Still some who preach blab it and grab it. Preachers who are still motivated by money and impure motives, telling people what they want to hear in order to get butts in seats. But church, I'm here to tell you, you don't ever have to resort to peddling God's word because the Bible is always sufficient. You can have confidence in the word of God. You don't have to resort to false practices, fancy gadgets, impressive speakers to have a successful ministry. You may get more seats filled with those things, but what you're looking for as a church is heart change. You want discipleship. You want eternal impact. And the only thing that brings gospel heart change is the true word of God. The Bible still works. The word still saves. The gospel still transforms. The spirit still penetrates. My favorite preacher, Dr. Charlie E. Dates, he says it like this. The word of the Lord is fresher than tomorrow's newspaper. In other words, the same word, the same Jesus, the same gospel that Apostle Paul preached in Acts chapter 2 where 3,000 people got saved is the same gospel that will save millennials in 2020. When ministry seems hard, you can have confidence that the Bible still works. Stick to the word. Believe the word. Preach the word. Hebrews 4.12 says it is still living and active. God will draw the people. He will get butts in seats. 
you trust the word because the Bible is still sufficient and will always be sufficient for ministry. Paul shifts. He shifts to explaining that the Corinthian church to them, that he is really a true minister, gospel of Jesus Christ. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 read, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are a letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone but on tablets of human hearts. As heartbreaking as it had to be for Paul, the church at Corinth, the community he built was now demanding that he prove his authority and credentials as a minister of Christ. They were demanding a letter of recommendation. Now, this was common and necessary for traveling preachers in Paul's day. A, a false prophet or apostle could come from city to si city and easily say, Johnny sent me here to preach, so you should support me with cash for my ministry. So to help guard against problems like this, letters of recommendation were often sent with the preachers as they traveled. The preacher would, he would show up to a house and asking to spend the night, and the homeowner would respond, how do I know I can trust you? Show me a letter from a friend, and you'd show the letter. Nevertheless, Paul is like, why are you demanding a letter from me? I started this church. My letter of recommendation is you. The fact that you are a church is my letter of validation. You guys are operating under worldly standards, standards that are antithetical to the new covenant. In other words, the evidence, the validation that I'm a true minister of the gospel is, the, is that the law is written on your hearts, not with ink, but with Christ through the Spirit. The fruit that you show in your lives, your heart change, the life transformation by the power of the Spirit. Y'all are demanding that I show you an ordination letter, but you are my ordination letter. The true credential of a minister is the lives that have been transformed. The heart changed by the power of the Spirit. And this brings us to our last and final truth. When serving God is hard, remember, we're ministers of the new covenant. Verses 4 through 6 read, Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Paul explains that he has been called, commissioned, and positioned by God himself. Not because of his own competency, ability, or adequacy, but his adequacy comes from the Lord Jesus. Furthermore, as ministers, we're operating under a new covenant where everything comes from Christ. What's the covenant? Well, let's back it up to get some background. In the Old Testament, God had given his people, Israel, the covenant, his binding agreement for faithfulness and blessing. Though in the book of Jeremiah, we find that God's people had broken their covenant with the Lord, their marriage vows, their agreement to God and have gotten kicked out of the land for their rebellion. Nevertheless, God makes a promise with them in chapter 31 where he states, Behold, the days are coming where I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, not like the old. 
for I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people, for they shall all know me, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And Paul alludes to this promise from God, saying, In Christ, this is the covenant that we have received. This is the covenant we're ministering. Under the new covenant, where the Holy Spirit has written the law of God, not on stone tablets, not on an iPad, but on human hearts, we have security in Christ. There's blessing in the new covenant. There's security in the new covenant. This covenant cannot be broken by human sin or earned by one's own strength. Rather, rather, we depend on Christ. We trust in what Jesus has accomplished on the cross for forgiveness, salvation, blessing, and new life. It's all about what God has done, God's triumph. The old tablet was a death-dealing written code, but the new tablet involves, involves a life-giving spirit of God. This is what we're called to as ministers. We're ministers of a new covenant, a new agreement, a new relationship between God and humans, and our sufficiency is from God. Church, as I close, we're getting ready to worship. In our passage this morning, Jesus, he gives us good news. The truth is, God has acted. He has saved. He created all things good and with a purpose and was in perfect relationship with us as human beings. Though, when he gave us the choice to, to trust and follow him or to go against the grain and choose sin, each of us chose sin. And this wrecked the relationship between God and us. But God sent Jesus to die on the cross to forgive us our sins and to reconcile us back to our loving Father. And he rose on the third day, defeating sin, hell, and the grave, and promises that there will come a day when he will return to make all things right, and we will live in perfect peace once again with our Father. We know how the story ends, and it ends in our victory. But until then, we as his followers have that message to deliver to the rest of the world. And whether you've experienced this in the past, are currently going through it right now, or will face it in the future, delivering this message is not always easy. There are tough days in ministry, hard seasons in serving God. It's tough giving your maximum effort, giving your all to the things of God, but seeing no results, seeing no progress, no fruit, no headway. It's tough to stay passionate and motivated to serve God when ministry seems dead, be it here at uh, here at the church, in your home, at your workplace or school. Fortunately for us, Paul knows what it's like. He's experienced this labor, the wrestling, the struggle of being a car carrier of the gospel of Christ. And because he's experienced it, he's given us some truths to hold on to when it seems as if we're making no progress in ministry. God is always victorious. You are the aroma of Christ. The Bible is always sufficient for ministry, and we're ministers of the new covenant. This is our encouragement. This is our anchor, our hope. God is moving. He's doing more than you think in your ministry. 
even when you cannot see it or feel it, God is still at work. When serving God is hard, we must remember who Christ is, what he's accomplished, and who we are in him. Jesus is victorious. He is on the throne. He, he has the final say. And we know how this story ends. It ends in a triumphal procession. I want to close with this. Uh, I love this, uh, the movie Karate Kid. Not the old one, the new one with Jaden Smith. Go Jaden. But, but it's super funny in one scene where, where he's doing wax on, wax off, and, and Jaden, whether you've seen the, the old Karate Kid or the new one, Jaden, he, he just wants to learn karate. And, and Jackie Chan, he's like, wax on, wax off. He's doing all this stuff. Jaden's super frustrated because he's given all his effort, but he feels as if he's not learning anything karate-wise. But in the next scene, Jaden's like, I quit. I'm done with it. And then Jackie's like, wax on, wax off. And he throws a punch, and Jaden, boom, he stops it. And Jaden's like, this entire time, I thought I was making no progress, but I actually know more karate than I ever thought was possible. Church, in the same way, in your ministry, you may feel like there are moments when you're not making any progress. You're seeing no fruit. You have no results. But God is actually doing more on the inside, the things you cannot see, the things you can't feel. He's actually doing more in your ministry than you think. Let's pray.